Thank God it's Friday. How often have you heard that in your place of employment? Or I'm living for the weekend. How often have you heard people say that? In fact, there's a song that was written many years ago with that title. And then we come into our churches and we often hear people talking of Sabbath time. You know, we got we to recover Sabbath time. We got to make sure we have sufficient rest. Now, there is certainly a blessing to the weekend after a long week of work, and we are not opposed to Sabbath time. But it's interesting that when you listen to people talk about their, their lives, their, their week, both in Christian circles and in secular circles, we tend to define joy, the most joyful, wonderful, pleasurable times of life as the times when we're not working. We live for the weekend. We're looking forward to Sabbath time. But when was the last time you heard some biblical teaching or did some biblical study on the concept of work? Did you know that the Bible has something to say about work? That it has a redemptive message to share with us when it comes to how we spend our Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturdays. And yet in our culture, we often hear people talking about just counting the days or counting the months or counting the years down to retirement, thinking that if they could just retire, life would be so much better than it is now. Or we have people just leaping at the opportunity to take parental leave when a new child arrives. Or even in pastoral ministry, I'm seeing an increase in interest among pastors. They want sabbaticals. They just want to get away from the work and get away from the, the hustle and the bustle and the stress of ministry. People love it when they are offered an early buyout by their employer. Or people talk about wanting to work the, the bare minimum or to travel the world or to delay their careers in order to travel the world. One of my own kids, when they were graduating from high school, was told by their guidance counselor, don't, don't go to school, don't, don't get a job, just travel the world for a while and enjoy life. Even during this time of lockdown, I've heard some people say, I'm, I'm kind of enjoying this lockdown. I don't have to work. I don't have to stress myself out so much. Now, we understand that work can be challenging and work can be difficult. But when we think about these commonly held notions in our society that basically elevates the weekend, elevates retirement, elevates Sabbath time, and sort of creates this notion that, that work Hard work in particular is a drag. It's something we want to get away from. It's something we want to free ourselves from. When we hear this kind of a mindset, what we could conclude is that it actually creates a divide between pleasure and productivity. Pleasure is time off and productivity, eh, it's kind of a drag. And we often raise generations uh, of children, of of children that become adults that think this way as well, where they, they live for the weekend, they live for time off, they live for retirement, they live for R&R, and they find little to no pleasure in their work. Now the question is, is this a biblical worldview? And I'm going to argue that it's not. The Bible doesn't cre create for us 
two spheres, over here being pleasure in the form of time off, and over here being the drag, the humdrum, the mundane processes of productivity. While rest is good, work is also framed up in the Bible as something that can be good as well. Now, if you're a student of the Bible, you might automatically be thinking to yourself, well, how is that possible? Because I think I read early in the Bible that work was kind of part of the curse. In Genesis chapter 3, I've read that chapter. And when Adam and Eve were cursed by God because of their sinful rebellion against God, I'm, I'm pretty sure that work is sort of framed up in a bit of a negative way. Well, it's true that work has been negatively affected by human sin. But so has pleasure. So has your marriage. So has your place of worship. So has your physical health. Everything has been marred or damaged to some degree by sin. But this does not mean that work in and of itself is innately evil and therefore something we should avoid or something that we should overcome or something we should retire from as soon as we possibly can. Rather, when we study the scriptures, instead of pitting pleasure against productivity, both work and rest can in fact be pleasurable and productive. Let me say that again. Both work and rest can be pleasurable and productive. So let me introduce you, first of all, to Genesis chapter 3. I already referenced this. And I want to introduce you to this passage because it does help us to understand the consequences or the effects of sin upon our productivity, upon our work. So it says there in Genesis chapter 3, beginning with, with verse 17, and to Adam he said, so these are God's pronouncements of curses because of their sin. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. Now at this point we could stop and tell a whole bunch of jokes. But the idea here is not that listening to your wife is a bad thing. The idea here is that Adam listened to his wife who coaxed him to disobey God in the Genesis 3 record. So this is the context. And have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you. You shall not eat of it. Here's what God says. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth from you. For you. And you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now, if this was the only passage we had in our Bible pertaining to work, we might think, man, no wonder I want to retire. No wonder I want to thank God it's Friday. No wonder I live for the weekends. No wonder I love vacation time. If this was the only text we had in the Bible, we might conclude work from beginning to end, from top to bottom, is cursed, it's horrible, it's a result of sin, and we should avoid it and seek to overcome it at all possible turns. But bear in mind there are two chapters in our Bible before Genesis chapter 3. And one of them is Genesis chapter 2. 
And in Genesis chapter 2, keep in mind, this is before sin entered into the world. This is before there was any evil, any curse, any fall of humanity into sin. Prior to that, here's what we read in God's holy word in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to enjoy seven days of rest and relaxation? No, that's not what the text says. So that he could enjoy a perpetual retirement? No, that's not what the text says. Prior to sin, God put Adam in the garden to work it and to keep it. Think about that for a minute. Before sin ever, ever entered into the world, God put the man in the garden to work it and to keep it. This tells us that God's design for you and for me, even before sin entered into the world, is that we were designed to be productive. We were designed in part to work. In fact, these two words, work and keep, are later used in the Bible, in reference to the work of priests who are working in and keeping their tabernacle duties before the people of God. And here it's a reminder to us that in the garden, man was placed there to tend to it, to prepare the ground, to pick its fruit, to plant seeds, to tend to his physical surroundings. Not one day a week, but six days a week. In the same way that God worked six days and rested on the seventh day, so God put Adam in the garden to work in the garden and to tend to the garden. Now, admittedly, because of Genesis chapter 3 and the events we have read there, it's true that that work has been marred by sin. But so has Sabbath keeping. So has rest. So has pleasure. But God's original design again for us is that we would work. We would be productive. That's why God gave us arms and legs and a back so that we would have the capacity to be productive If God's design for us was to simply rest all the time, he would have created us big blobs just to settle into couches and do nothing. But that's not how we're designed. God has designed us with arms and legs and backs, and he tells us early on in the scriptures that we were placed on this planet in order to be productive. You know, this is an important mindset for Christians to adopt. And it's an important biblical mindset for Christians to pass on to their children. And I'll just say this. We have to be very careful about being conscientious and deliberate in teaching our children a proper biblical understanding of work and productivity. We need to understand that it is good to encourage our children from their earliest ages to work, to be productive. This means that we shouldn't allow them to speak negatively of school and positively of the weekend. 
I've said this to my kids many times, not so much in recent years, but especially when they were younger. I don't want you talking negatively about your schoolwork. I don't want to hear it. Because that will breed in your mindset a negative view of work. I don't want you talking negatively of your employment opportunities because that will create within you a negative view of work. You want people to understand that there is a blessing. It's part of their human design to be productive, to get a job, to accomplish things. It also means that if you're an employer, you shouldn't pander to your employees' demands and requests for more and more and more and more time off. It means that at the end of every one of your days, at least from Monday to Saturday, you should ask yourself this simple question. Was I productive? Did I accomplish anything of meaning or of value? Or did I just laze around? Am I guilty of the sin of laziness or idleness? These are things that are chastised in Scripture. Now, I want you to think for a moment about the mathematics of life in North America. So the biblical pattern is we work six days and we take the seventh day off, right? So how many days are there in a year? In a typical year, minus leap years, there are 365 days. Now, if you do the math, and it's easy to do because there's 52 weeks in a year, that means that God's design for you and for me would be for us to take 52 days a year off work. But think about the North American context. The majority of people take 104 days off work just on weekends alone. 52 Sundays, 52 Saturdays. And then in addition to that, they get two or four or six weeks vacation. Let's say that you have four weeks of vacation. So you have 104 days off in terms of the weekend. In addition to that, you have 28 vacation days. Now, if you run the math, what you actually discover is that in North America, most people take a greater percentage than one-third of their year off of work. Now, that's not such a bad thing. But it's kind of hard to complain that we're being overly worked, you know, that we, we desperately need to retire, that we need more vacation, when the vast majority of people more than double God's recommended amount of time off of work. It's, it's not uncommon for someone to have 135 Sabbath days a year when God mandates 52. And I think this is reflective of the North American mindset because we believe in our Western culture that works bad. The more we can reduce our work days, the more we can increase our Sabbath days or our weekends or our vacations or our early retirement, the better life gets. And again, that's reflective of this mindset that productivity is not pleasurable and rest is pleasurable. But that is not a notion found within the word of God. The word of God frames up productivity as a positive thing. 
Now, because God understands that due to the effects of sin, that work is hard, it does make you sweat by the sweat of your brow. It it, it is hard sometimes to produce an adequate amount of food or provision for your family. Because God understands that, as a gracious concession, not only does God extend the mandate for us to work, uh, post-Genesis chapter 3, but he also extends the mandate for us to rest. So back in Genesis chapter 2, in the opening verse, it tells us that God worked and then God rested. And the idea there is that people would follow that same pattern. Now, you might think, well, maybe because God was kind of upset with our sin in Genesis chapter 3 that he canceled Sabbath rest. No. Because way over in Exodus chapter 20, this is centuries later, in verses 8 through 11, we see our gracious God saying this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor... And do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work. And then you skip down to verse 11. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the Sabbath day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So God takes the pattern of creation. Six days of work, one day of rest, and he extends it even into a fallen and sinful world. And as a gracious concession, even though our work, again, is marred by sin and difficulty, God is still advocating for us, encouraging us to set aside 52 days a year where we can enjoy rest. Now, let me ask you this question. Why was it that God rested on the Sabbath day in the first place? Now think about this. God is all powerful. He never wearies. He never tires. He's never stressed out. He's never anxious. Never has a sore back. Never breaks a sweat. Why did God, even before sin entered into the world, rest on the Sabbath day? Was it because he was tired? No. God didn't rest on the Sabbath day because he was tired, but because he wanted to establish a pattern for us so that after our work, after working hard Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and so forth, we would be able to sit back and delight in our productivity. To delight in our productivity. So Sabbath keeping isn't just about resting and allowing you know, the back to heal up. But Sabbath keeping rest is an opportunity for us to delight in our productivity. Now let's assume that you're not productive. And you have like a seven seven day a week Sabbath kind of lifestyle going on. What are you supposed to delight in? If you haven't produced anything. You see the biblical notion is you work, you work, you work some more. You work some more. And then you take a period of time to delight in what you've accomplished. The biblical pattern is not avoid work, avoid work, avoid work, and then delight in doing nothing. 
accomplishing nothing, serving nobody? No. That might be a mindset that's reflected among the godless, the heathen. But that is not reflective of a biblical worldview. In fact, we should take time to delight in our productivity. We should take time to delight in our productivity. Again, rest is not merely to refresh, but rest is designed for us to take time to delight in what we've accomplished. Now, it's equally possible for a person to become kind of a workaholic. And there's a problem with that too. I mean, work can easily overtake us. Subconsciously, we might be chasing work, working too hard, almost in some attempt, some ill-guided, ill-informed, ignorant intent to overcome the the, the curse of, of sin, to kind of return ourselves to some place of like ultimate pleasure and and constant delight. You know, if I, if I just work a little harder and can buy a, a bigger boat, well, then my life's going to be really good. If I can just work a little harder so that I can retire a little earlier, well, then life's going to be you know, great. And we have this notion that if we just work a little harder, we can overcome the effects of the curse. A better approach is to work and then rest to delight in your efforts. And then go back to work and work some more. And then rest to delight in your efforts. This is the pattern that God has established for humanity to live by. Sadly, some work so hard, they have no time to delight in what they have produced. Others just want delight. And so they don't work at all. And they end up with this emptiness and this purposelessness about them. And they find no delight in that either. Isn't it amazing that God's patterns are actually the best patterns? If we follow God's ways and God's methods, we find that balance in productivity and pleasure. We work six days. We rest on the seventh day. This is the biblical pattern that God has established for his people since the beginning of time. Now, right now we're in a sermon series called Desecularizing Christianity. And the subtitle of this series is Embracing a Sacred Worldview. The purpose of this series is to help us to think biblically, because most of us have been raised in a very, very, very secular culture. And we may even have been raised by secular parents. We've been exposed to secular media. We've gone to secular public schools or high schools or colleges or universities or vocational schools. And it's easy to say, well, I'm a Christian. But when you take stock of your life in light of the word of God to discover that I think more like a secularist. So this teaching series is to kind of help us to consider is Is my worldview, is my mindset more reflective of a secular mindset or a sacred mindset? And I selected this topic today because I think that many of us have listened with much greater intensity to the secular view of work and rest than we have a biblical view of work and rest. And in broad strokes, it's true. We hear this all the time. 
that the secular mindset towards work includes notions like, well, I'm, I'm owed the opportunity to work. It's like you, you owe me an opportunity for a well-paying, satisfying job. There's no place in the Bible that suggests that, but that's the secular mindset. Or work is terrible, it's awful. You know, again, the, the sooner that I can retire, the better. Or the goal of work is to work myself out of work. That's not in the Bible either. Not that I'm opposed to the concept of retirement, but it's not a biblical concept. It's not in the Bible, this notion of retirement. You know, I work 30 years, 40 years, and I'm, I don't work for the next 30 or 40 years. That's not in the Bible. Sorry to offend because I know it's common in our culture to think that way. And I'm not saying that retirement is a bad thing, but know this, it's not a biblical thing either. Work is a curse. All of these kinds of perspectives, again, hinder people's productivity. It hinders their joy. It hinders their capacity to delight in God's mandate to work and tend to the things God has entrusted to you. In contrast to the secular mindset, a sacred view of work says being productive is a blessing. Being productive is a joy. And when I am productive, God has also built into the patterns of our lives opportunities for us to step back and say, wow, look what I just accomplished in the last six days. I worked hard. Look what I built. Look what I taught. Look at the lives that were blessed by me. This is God's pattern for us. Delighting in our accomplishments that honor God. Did you know that ultimately we work in honor of God? The reason why we go to work is not ultimately to receive honor. Ultimately, we work in order to honor God. Where do we find this in Scripture? We find it in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, where it says, And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That means that if you are building automobiles in a factory, you do that in order to honor God. That means that if you build houses, you do it to honor God. That means that if you teach children in schools, you do that to honor God. That means that if you're into farming, you do that to honor God. If you're an engineer, you do that to honor God. If you're an administrator, a manager, a financial planner, you do that to honor God. If you're a graphic designer, a videographer, a photographer, an artist, a dancer, you do that to honor God. That means that if you work in food service industries, you do that to honor God. The Bible says, in whatever you do, whether with your words or your deeds, check it out again, 
It says, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know what we could call this? We could call this a vertical view of work. A vertical view of work. Life is not ultimately about me living for the weekend, chilling on a beach, settling into my comfortable lazy boy. And the more days I can do that, the better. No, life is about honoring God, bringing honor and glory to God. In church, God is honored when we are productive individuals. When we work as unto the Lord. In this respect, if you are a Christian and you have this mindset, every vocation, every vocation is a sacred vocation. Is this your mindset? Do you have a biblical mindset towards work? Are you a hardworking person? Are you conscientious at work? Do you denounce this notion that life is all about retirement, living for the weekend, and finding your way to a beach someplace? Again, these aren't, hear me clearly, these aren't innately bad things, but this is not what life is ultimately about. The goal of life is not early retirement. The goal of life is not, oh, I get... Saturday and Sunday off. The goal of life is not, I'm just counting the days, counting the hours to the next cruise. That's not life. God is blessed by our productivity. And when we are productive, then he opens up opportunities for us to delight in our productivity to the honor and glory of God. Let me give you a few principles that will help you to put this into practice in the coming days, and in the coming years. The first one is this, and these are no particular order, but they're all important. The first is to understand this, that when you're working, you should also be working for the benefit and blessing of the next generation. Did you know that? You ever thought about that? When you're working, biblically, you should also be working for the benefit and blessing of the next generation. Now, we know that humanity has not done a very good job of that. Otherwise, everybody, in theory, would be very well off. And we've been around for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of generations. But the biblical mindset is that when we're working, we're not just working for ourselves, but we are also working for the benefit and blessings of the next generation. How do we know that? It's taught in both the New Testament and the Old Testament. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, it says, He who does not provide for his own, meaning members of his own household, is worse than an infidel. It's like you're, you're worse in God's mindset than an unbeliever. He who does not provide for his own. So it's not just, oh, I'm responsible for me. I'm also responsible for my household, positioning and blessing my children for success into the next generation and their children as well. It says in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22, a good man. You want to be a good man? Do you? Here's one of the ways of being a good man or woman. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. He tries to position his children and their children with an appropriate inheritance. Not just physically, of course, but also spiritually. Now, if we donned this mindset as the people of God, 
Think of how we could lift generations of future Christians from poverty, from despair, from laziness, from an improper view of work toward an appropriate view of work and an appropriate view of pleasure. So one of the principles that governs our financial decisions, our work, our productivity is not just, well, I want to be successful in my 70 years or whatever I have here on earth, but I also want what I do to bless my children and my grandchildren. Here's another principle. It's going to offend some, but it's okay to be offended in church. I think the word of God sometimes offends, not needlessly, but it offends us in order that we might be blessed by it. You ready for this? If you don't work, you don't eat. I go, that's kind of harsh. Well, you can take that up with God. Because that's what God's word says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. If you don't work, you don't eat. Now let your mind start to turn a little bit. And think about the way our culture is structured. Nothing wrong with us pooling some of our funds to help the destitute. That's kind of a biblical concept. Nothing wrong with developing within society structures that will assist people that are down and out, that are disabled perhaps, or have special needs that are unable to work productively. But unfortunately, we live in a culture where many people needlessly live off the system. We have many examples of this where we have people living on generational welfare and nobody wants to say anything because that's, you know, that's not loving, that's not gracious. I don't want to be judgmental. The Bible has something to say about that. If you don't work, you don't eat. Where do you think the money comes from that supports you if you're not working but can work? It comes from my pocket comes from the pocket of your neighbor. Money doesn't grow on trees. One of my children got a summer job recently and was telling me that their employer said to them, oh, we actually hired a bunch of people, but a lot of them quit because they're now on this new government benefit, the CERB or CURB benefit that's being handed out to people, the $2,000 a month because of the current virus, not because they have the virus, not because they know anybody with the virus, but they're thinking, well, if I can make $2,000 a month from the government, why would I go to work? You know what that's called? That's called sin. That's called disgusting. That's called atrocious. And it's a direct violation of the principles of the word of God. If a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. And by the way, if you're not eating, it's a pretty good motivator to start to work. So as we think about this as Christians, let's not not be shy or embarrassed to call people out for their own benefit in keeping with Scripture and to the glory of God who are lazy people who may be needlessly living off the system when they have the capacity and ability 
to work. Let's call them out. Not for the sake of making ourselves feel better, but for the sake of helping to position them to be all that God wants them and desires them to be in Christ. If you can work, you should work. That is God's creation mandate for you. A third notion here, and I've mentioned this previously, is that retirement from work is not a biblical construct. Now, I have friends that are retired, and I've often chatted with them about this, and certainly it would be a blessing for a person to get to a point in their life where they can retire from a paycheck. In other words, they're not obligated because they have the financial means to show up at a particular office or factory or place of employment just for the sake of getting a paycheck. But I don't think there's anything in the Bible that suggests that we should ever retire from work. Even if you've been able to be blessed to the point that you've retired from a paycheck, you don't have to work for someone, come and serve in the church. Serve in local ministries. Schedule your week in such a way so you're not just whittling away some of the choice years and decades of your life. If you're a Christian... And your notion is, you know, 55 and I'm out. And then I'm just going to sit on the beach for the next 30 years. I would suggest to you, you're wasting your life. And you're not following the patterns that Jesus has established, that God has established for us in scripture. As long as we're able, the pattern remains. In some way, shape or form, we work six days a week and we rest on the seventh. Let's just keep this in mind when it comes to even planning our futures. As younger people, if you're planning your future, don't just think, man, the sooner I can get out of my job, the sooner I can retire, the better. What are your plans after that? Whatever you do, whatever you say, you want to bring honor and glory to God. So how can you position yourself in your most productive years in terms of getting a paycheck as a younger person, and also as an older person, how can you position yourself to continue to work, continue to be productive for the honor and glory of God? Fourth, let's acknowledge that laziness is a sin. Laziness is a sin. Sometimes we speak of laziness as sort of cute. I'm just having a lazy day. And then that turns into two lazy days. And that turns into three lazy days. What do you think God thinks about laziness? We could go back to the Proverbs to find an answer to this. In Proverbs 18.9, the Bible says, Whoever is slack in his work, meaning lazy, is a brother to him who destroys. Really? So you got... Guy number one over here, and he's destroying people. He's destroying their lives. He's ruining people's livelihood. He's maybe taking people's literal lives. He's a murderer. He's a thief. And that person is on par with people that don't work? Yeah. It says... Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. Again, this underscores this biblical notion that we were designed to work. And work is a beautiful thing in the eyes of God. And if we do not work, we are not only destroying others, but we are destroying our lives. We are literally frittering away and wasting the precious 
stewardship of life that God has given to us. And guess how many kicks at the can you get? One. We have one life to live. One life and one life only to live. Why would you waste your life either destroying or being idle, being lazy? Fifth principle, when you do work, work honestly. There's people out there that work, but their work is to swindle, to steal, to rob, to rip people off, to be shysters. But in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, the Bible says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now here it's speaking of people who've come out of the world. When people come out of the world, you kind of, you aren't super surprised if they're swindlers, they're robbers, they're thieves, they've ripped people off. But if you are numbered among God's people, you need to denounce those evil ways and replace theft with hard work. You need to work honestly. That means you don't rip your employer off. You don't write down on your timesheet, I worked X number of hours if you didn't. You don't steal company time by being lazy and unproductive. You don't steal product from your employer. You don't steal from other people. You don't twist the truth to, to make the sale. The conscientious Christian labors and does honest work with their own hands so that they may have something to share with anyone in need. Notice there's also a benefit to the other. When we work hard, we gain resources that enable us to support the work of the ministry, the work of gospel ministry. So that if someone's in need, someone requires our help, we're like, oh, I have a little extra money. I can help you in that regard. How do you have so much money? Because I worked hard. Because I work six days a week. Because I showed up. Because I didn't lie. I didn't cheat. I didn't steal. I didn't try to get out of work as quickly as I possibly could. I didn't live for the weekend. I didn't take endless, needless weeks of vacation. I worked hard as unto the Lord. And now I'm able to be a blessing to you. As we consider these Christian truths, church, if we find pleasure in God, let's choose to find pleasure in his ways. Let's not needlessly listen to the messages that the godless communicate to us. We shouldn't expect them to have a particularly biblical view of work and rest. But the Bible does provide us with a biblical view of work and rest. So that even if our parents modeled something different, differently to us, or culture models something differently to us. Or employment law models something different to us. Let's take our cue from the word of God. Let's make sure that we are hardworking people. Let's enjoy the benefits and blessings that God gives to us as we work hard. Let's be productive. And then let's take time 
to delight in the things that we've produced and then to be able to pass on the fruit of our labor to our neighbor, to our children, and to our children's children to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. 